Hello and welcome to Geeky Girl Gab. I'm Candace, and with me, of course, is my Star Wars partner, Bree. Hello. And we have two very special guests. I'm so excited about this. We have Alice from Rogue Fun. Hey, Alice. Hi, glad to be here. I'm so excited that she, who has seen this movie so many times and has talked about it so much, <laughs> is here to talk about Rogue One with, with us. And we also have Hope from Jag Eyes and Jedi. Everyone says it wrong. It's J Guys. <laughs> Hi. J Guys. Okay. So the thing is that I've only seen it written. Like, I know that's what, like, Kanan has that's, on his mask. That's a common and, thing. Uh, most people, yeah, but it's uh, J Guys and Jedi Eyes. Okay. So I would like to know when was the first time you guys saw Rogue One? Do you guys remember? I saw Rogue One opening night. Um, Me too. I was there at midnight on opening night. And. I saw it, the second time I saw it was the very next day. Wow, that is, you know what? The only movie I've done that to is Phantom Menace when I was a child. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It was the next day. I was like, I got to take my friends. I was like, mom, you got to take us. Hi, no shame. I love The Phantom Menace, so. (laughs) It's my third favorite Star Wars movie on my ranking. Oh, wow. I feel you on that one. Okay, so Hope, when did you first see it? I saw it opening night with my friends and it was so hyper emotional at the time because Carrie Fisher had just passed away and so just the reveal of seeing Leia at the end uh, I went like with my friend Paige and we just like held hands and cried together afterwards just to have that Leia reveal just so soon after losing Carrie and I just I was blown away this movie because our podcast we just do animation we just Mm -hmm. talk about the Filoni verse and that's all we do and so to see this movie already means a lot to me because this validated everything I went through because I used to be a manager at a comic book store and I would have mostly men come in and tell me that Star Wars animation wasn't valid because it wasn't on the movie screens. And I remember the day that the articles dropped that Saw Guerrero was going to be in a canon movie. I cried because I had just spent like two years being harassed by men saying that my bread and butter of Star Wars being animation wasn't valid. And it was so... Just to me, this is the canon gold standard because it blends animation and comics and books and the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy so seamlessly together. Well, mostly seamlessly. There's a few clunkers. But for the most part, it blends it together. And this is the canon gold standard. And it just validated animation for in the movies. And this movie just means so much to me just because of that. And just seeing Saul on screen, I just cried. I was like, I don't even care. That's that's Saul Guerrero. And he's here and he's a cartoon, but he's real life now. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's really cool because Forrest Whitaker, he also voices, he comes back for Star Wars Rebels. He wasn't like the teenage Saul in Clone Wars, but he comes back and he voices the character. Yeah, we just actually, it's funny. We just did those episodes on our show. And doing In the Name of the Rebellion, part one and part two, and then watching Rogue One, it's 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 poetry. It rhymes. Like, there's a scene in Rogue One where Mon Mothma's like, yeah, we don't like Saul Guerrera. And then we were watching those episodes, and you see actually Mon Mothma and Saul get into a verbal fight. And I was like, yes, <laughs> it works. Okay, so Brie probably has no idea what we're talking about. Brie. No, no, my mind has been blown. So, obviously, you know, Star Wars, I'm going to get crucified because this is... Literally last night was my first time watching Rogue One. You're not going to get crucified because people who judge fans, no no matter what levels, are assholes. No, this is true. No, I I, I shame her and I make fun of her about everything, but she does the same to me. So With different things. But um, (laughs) fair is fair. Hope, when you were talking, I was like, my mind has been blown. 
I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, some of these characters were in Clone Wars? I was like, what? Because I need to start watching the series Clone Wars and I need to watch Rebels still. And, and there are two Rebels characters in it. You see Chopper roll in the background. You see the ghost at the Battle of Scarif and you hear General Syndulla being called over the intercom. And oh my you can God. even go even further because Bell Organa and Mon Mothma are both in Clone Wars as well. So they're integrated into the animation. Mon Mothma, actually they're both in Rebels as well now that I think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it just melds the animated world so well into live action, and it just fits so beautifully. I'm seriously stoked because I wanted more um, knowledge about their characters. Like, Saw, I, I literally wrote in my notes, I was like, waste of a character. He should have gone out fighting more. And to know I'll get to see him and learn more about him, I'm so excited for that. He has a sister who is amazing. You learn why he is so hardened and why he's the more extreme version of the rebels. The he Guerrera has a reason. Family, the Guerrero family, in, an absolute incredible arc in the animated show. I'm not finished with the Clone Wars yet. I'm like somewhere in between being the big animation fan and having not seen any of it at all. I'm right in the middle here. I'm almost all the way done with Clone Wars. And the the arc on Onderon with Saw and Steela Guerrera is has been my favorite so far, hands down. And it's not just because uh, Rogue One's my favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> it's interesting because it doesn't just here to Rogue One as well, but it introduces this, uh, this interesting thing about what's the fine line between rebellion and terrorism. And it's a very fine line, which is why the politics are so important in this movie. And there's that whole scene where Jin is at the meeting with all the, the leaders and they're all debating it. But it, what it does so well in Clone Wars and then again in Rebels, and then it really emphasizes this here, is why there's so many like politics wrapped up in the Rebellion. Because if they don't have these political grounds like embedded in the Rebellion, then they're terrorists like Saul and there's no difference between them. Yeah, and that's the great thing about this movie and Rebels is it shows you this other side of the Rebellion because in the original trilogy, it's not quite so basic, but it just feels like they're the good guys. They're doing good things. You don't think about the millions of people that Luke Skywalker kills when he blows up the Death Star, do you? Well, first, Alice, I have one question. Yes. Can you sum up why this movie inspired you to do a podcast and watch it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I can I can summarize that a little bit. So when I saw Rogue One on, on opening night, I had just lost my father about three days before. I think that was uh, sitting really heavily in my mind the first time I saw this movie. And Jin's relationship with Galen was something that has really stayed with me and helped me help me kind of grieve through the process of of dealing with the loss of my father and it was it was re- it was difficult but the movie made it easier and it has quickly become not just my favorite Star Wars movie but maybe my favorite movie ever made and as such I decided that I needed to dedicate a lot more time into uh, tricking people into watching it with me and diving deeper into it and so I got the idea from there's a, a podcast called I think it's called the worst idea of all time where they have been watching really terrible movies once a week every week for several years and I said well you know what I'm gonna do is the opposite of that I'm gonna watch this great movie once a month every month until the end of time and I'm going to <laughs> talk about it so I've, I've been we've been breaking the movie down in like 10 minute segments and uh, just just really close reading these these pieces of this incredible movie and how dense the dialogue is and the choice of cinematography 
and trying to I'm mean, the the like thesis statement of the of the podcast is you all need to love this movie like I do. And here's and here's why I love it and here's what's important about it. And and it's worked a few times. I've had a couple of people message me saying that listening to the podcast changed their mind. They thought the movie was dumb and then they uh they were like, "Oh, oh, that's a good idea. I like that." I was telling Brie, I was like, one of the things they do is like they were taking a tally of all the cool cape swooshes too. And I was like <laughs> something we and did, yeah. That made me notice them more. It's just like little things like that. Like I didn't appreciate as much. The capes are very important to Rogue One. That's a it's very important, not just to Krennic, but to lots of people wear capes and they're all wonderful. It's a very cape heavy movie. Can can <laughs> well, I say something I about what you were saying about Jen? Because it's actually very close to one of the notes I have, and one of the things that I like about this movie so much is Jen is one of the few characters in Star Wars over the course of a movie who has a complete mental health journey. Like, she goes through a massive amount of trauma, she loses her mom, she loses both of her father figures, and we see how she runs away, and she gets down about it, and she hides, and the whole line about, well, it's not a problem if you don't look up. Like, she runs away from her problems... But it's because of these traumas, which could have so easily beaten her, she uses that as fuel to pick herself up and finally get engaged. And she and we actually get to see her mourn. Like we get to we don't we didn't get to see Leia mourn her lost planet or her family. And Padme was killed so fast that she didn't get to really mourn Anakin that much. But with Jin, like she cries and she mourns, but instead of being beaten down, she uses it as a way and as the, the catalyst to make her finally stand up and fight for the first time and to be a healthier person, even though it's for a short amount of time. And there's so few characters in Star Wars that have complete mental health journeys over the course of a single movie. The only other person I can really think of is Luke in Last Jedi. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way. I was like, I was thinking about like the Jen and Galen relationship and I'm like, wow, a good dad in Star Wars. That's new. Except for an animation man, because Emmanuel Doza is a damn good dad in Resistance. He is a damn good father. (laughs) Kind of one of the notes I wrote down here. Well, it wasn't even a note. It was just a sentence. uh, Kind of off of yours, Alice, where you want to get people to like this movie as much as you do, right? And I wrote, this is a Star Wars movie. This is a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's a real, true Star Wars movie. It is. It got me excited about the franchise. Um, To be honest, I... Never saw the trailer for this movie. The (laughs) only thing I knew about it was it was about getting the Death Star plans. That's all I knew. And it really blew my mind. I, you know, was so super happy about the representation, like the diversity uh, that we kind of got to see, even though there weren't still a lot of women, maybe like five in the whole movie. Um but, you know, we're getting there. We got a South Asian and East Asian man and a Latino man as leads. Like, that's that's so huge. I, I remember reading a story right after Rogue One came out and a, a man went to go see this movie with his father and both of them were Latinos. And he realized halfway through this movie that his father was getting really emotional. And after the movie, he asked why he, his father was teary and why he was so emotional. And his father, who was Latino, said... I've never heard someone sound like me in Star Wars in reference to Diego Luna. And the diversity of this movie is just so important. It was just incredibly groundbreaking. It's why we can have shows like Resistance, which is the most diverse show we've ever had in Star Wars. 
with the first canonically on-screen queer characters. For sure. And, I, like, I'm half Middle Eastern, so having Rizal Bodhi so in deep. it, I was like, what? I have a lot yeah. of Bodhi Rook feelings. I Like, one of my hot <laughs> takes is Bodhi Rook is actually the main character in this movie. <laughs> Bodhi Rook is Rogue One. I don't know uh, yeah. if you guys have, have thought... I, I bring this up in our next episode of the podcast. It's not out yet. Sneak peek. Mm-hmm. But... um. In every other Star Wars movie, um, the call sign of the of the pilot, um, red leader, gold leader, black leader, they belong to the um, to the pilot. So when they say, "What's your call sign, pilot?" and he says, "Rogue, Rogue One," that's Bodhi Rook is Rogue One. He is the heart of this movie. His his arc through his journey with with. Um, you know, the, the loss of his mind and bringing it back. And, and we, we see glimpses of, of personality shine through and how he's fighting through. He's stuttering through sentences and, and trying so hard to, you know, to, to come through on the other side. And he does so far, he comes so far that he gets to be Rogue One. He's the, the heart and soul of the movie. And Riz Ahmed is, as you said, extremely dreamy. Um, and uh, he's, <laughs> he's just such a... Too. Oh, he's yeah. incredible. And he's such a wonderful addition to the um, to the cast. That's I was so shocked and, like, just so amazed. And, like, like you said, he really is Rogue One. And in that moment, I just wrote chills. <laughs> like, I was like, this is incredible. That's like, why it's actually yeah. so maddening to me that Riz Ahmed's name is not on the Blu-ray box. And he's not on the celebration mural. Like, they left him off. But narratively speaking, the entire story revolves around him and Jen. There is no movie if he doesn't defect. The reason they need Jen in the first place is they have to rescue Bodhi from Saul because he's the one that has Galen's message. He's the one that gets them on Edu because he knows where the censors are. He's the one that they take to the Rebel Leader mission. He's the one that gets them on Scarif. He is the one that transfers the the mission, the Death Star plans to the rest of the rebellion. He is the other main character, and I would say Cassian too. But really, honestly, Cassian is there to pull a Mean Girls and go like, "Get in, losers! We're fighting the rebellion!" And then he essentially kidnaps five people over the course of the movie. Like that is Cassian's role of this movie. But the movie is about Jen and Bodhi, and it just, as a Riz Ahmed fan, it drives me absolutely insane that he's completely left out of so much stuff yeah that's upsetting that he is because you're right like from a writer standpoint he is the tipping point and i honestly like my first watching i didn't really realize like how much he had to like risk and how much like danger he put himself in to do this it's huge to defect to the from the empire free one of the reasons i said it's good that you didn't see the trailer was because there was a lot of scenes in the trailer that weren't in the movie itself one of my favorite shots is from the trailer, and I was so crushed that it didn't make it to the movie. It's the shot of the doors opening and them walking out, and there's just walkers there. And still to this day, that gives me chills seeing that. It's actually interesting. They actually reused a lot of the lines from the trailers in Rebels. Mon Mothma uses almost like verbatim parts of Saul's dialogue in the episodes in The Name of the Rebellion Part 1. Talk about how cheeky Darth Vader is, just in general. Oh my god, he has dad jokes, and it's, he doesn't even know he's a dad. He it's, makes it's, the best It's jokes. all of Anakin Skywalker, because when we first see him, he's in the Bacta tank. And that's just Anakin. There's no Vader. And then the second scene we get on with the Don't Choke on Your Aspirations, 
that's Anna Vader because and we're descending into Vader at the end. So we start off at Anakin, we melt them together, and then he just Vader at the end. And it's just a perfect progression of Anakin because Anna Vader in that Chokan aspiration scene, that's Anakin in Clone Wars. Like that is who he is. He is the snarky asshole that is just like, let me mouth off about this. And I, I love that progression that we go from Anakin to Anna Vader to Hi. Vader at the end. And it's his progression of who he used to be to who he is now. Rewatching Rogue One after seeing The Mandalorian kind of felt like the same feel in a way. You know, if that makes sense. What's nice about Rogue One and The Mandalorian is um, it's really nice to see the effects of a Star War on uh, on like the regular average person. Yeah. And to just see what it's like on, on the ground level. There's no Jedi. There's no, you know, big giant space battles. There, you know, I mean, in Rogue One, obviously, there's a big giant space battle. But I mean, I'm, I mean, to, to sit on the ground level and hang out with just a normal average uh, resident of the galaxy and... Uh, and to see what their life is like and how it's been impacted directly by the Empire and, and, and people who are willing to be apathetic and, and say, yeah, well, I guess it's just the Empire. That's just how it is. Um, it's, it's something that is really fascinating about these properties that I just, uh, I feel like, like Disney is taking Star Wars in this direction that makes it all much more relatable. We can't all be Luke Skywalkers, right? Like that, that's, we're not. But sometimes you are a hero who's found your own path in the galaxy and you don't need to be Luke Skywalker to do it. We were talking about revenge and she's like, the Palpatine's like obviously evil. I mean, like, look at the way he talks and does stuff like that. And she's like, why isn't everyone like rising against him? And I'm like, eh, kind of for that one reason is like people have so much to deal with in this galaxy. And that's the whole thing that the Empire does is they make sure like the people on the ground don't have time to resist. I had a hard time believing because of the direction and overall feel of Revenge. Whereas Rogue One, it really shines a light on, you know, that gray area. Not everything is black and white. And taking it a step further into feeling grounded. Whereas I, I just felt, you know, Revenge was a great movie, obviously, but it didn't feel grounded, if that makes sense. Yeah, this whole movie feels like lived in. It's dirty. The people... Their clothes are tattered or, you know, they've been wearing them more than once because we just came from like the prequels. Okay, so my question is, what did you guys think of them bringing Tarkin pretty much like back from the dead? I know they had his estate, Peter Cushing's family's permission to do so, but it was just like really weird to see this <laughs> person you know who is dead back I, on screen. I I got a huge kick out of seeing Tarkin back on screen and I feel like they did a really good job of making it it's like seamless into the shot the the tech is wonderful um he's not he's not perfect he's aged like a like a video game um <laughs> he kind of looks like a video game character a little bit but i thought that tarkin's presence in the imperial space was really important um to connect it to the uh to the other films we all know peter cushing's silhouette we all know his beautiful skeleton face like he's <laughs> he's so um He's so recognizable and doesn't make it past A New Hope. So I feel like I feel like his presence and like when they show him at the same time as they're putting the disc onto the Death Star, you, it helps solidify into the audience's mind like, oh, this is exactly when this is taking place. We know exactly what's going on here. We know that face. We know that Death Star. Um, Krennic is 
a wonderful, wonderful bad guy. Um, I love yeah. all, so much. All so middle much. manager, all like very relatable bad guy character that we all just we like get him. Um, but we don't know things, him. One of my absolute favorite things in all of Star Wars is mean girl bitchy Imperials who just bitch at each other. Like I <laughs> love it. What yeah. I just found like so haunting about him was like when they destroyed Jeddah. And he's looking at the explosion, and he's like, oh, that's beautiful. I was like, you're a psychopath. Well, yeah. People are dying. Yeah. But, but one of the best lines, uh, um, I think it was to Krennic, where Darth Vader was like, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. <laughs> I've lost it. I lost it. It's so great. That's the thing. This movie's funny. It's not a comedy, obviously. But there's still some moments that will always make me laugh especially of k2so yes, yes. oh he's i wonderful. love my droid sassy he's amazing and, and he's so and funny Bays too like turin bays has that old married couple vibe about them yeah. just the whole like yes. where are you going i'm going after them all right are you gonna be Good okay luck. no because you're coming with me damn it i'm coming with you <laughs> like yeah I, they have don donnie yin's hilarious in this oh movie. he's the best uh, and he's so funny. and also like i know we were talking about diversity and representation a blind man I was like, what? This is incredible. And he had, I think, I one mean, of the best sequences, too. It's very Avatar The Last Airbender with Toph. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's really excellent. Bass and Charrette have two of my favorite lines in the in the whole film that are uh, parallels of each other. When, uh, it, when we first meet them, and um, Charrette says... Uh, you almost shot me, and he says, "You're you're welcome." <laughs> and he says, the, "And he says the force did protect me. I protect yep. you." He says, "You know that line. The parallel of that is the one that that you were that you were quoting before." He says, "Good luck," and he says, "I don't need luck. I have you." And those two, those two lines mirror each other in in the movie and are a really excellent example of their relationship. They're so sweet together, even though Bayes has lost every inch of faith and hope and. Uh, and Chirrut, though, has not lost any faith and hope. In fact, he's increased his faith and hope in his best friend, Baze. During Chirrut's death, and that being the inspiration of, Tur- of Baze finding his, his faith again. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, and it's a beautiful progression of he has faith in Baze constantly, and he's the one that gives faith to Baze, and it just goes that extra step further. Oh, I loved the idea of hope in this film. Um, where, you know, it started with... Uh, Cassian's line, you know, rebellions are built on hope and that carried throughout it, the theme. And I was just like, this is beautiful, especially it being the film right before A New Hope. And I was just like, oh, it married it so well. And I I just thought it was so well done. It was just really gave you that feeling that you wanted to come along with this journey. And like, just love that he had the hope in the Jedi still. Because I, I mean, while it's great not to see the Jedi always, because, you know, like we were saying, you know, it's great to see the grounded characters, the characters who aren't like these mystical people, you know, um, who have the force, but it's nice that he believed in it. And that kind of that hope protected him as he was walking towards the master switch. I just thought it was a beautiful scene. It actually helps it is double really down on the corruption of the Jedi during the prequel era. Mm-hmm. Because Chert's the right age that he could have been a Jedi. But because they had relied so heavily on things like science and lost their ways and metaphorians and stuff like that, he should have been a Jedi during that time and he would have been lost. But really, he has the best qualities of the Jedi. 
but because of their corruption and not taking someone like him because he he's the right age then he would have died with them but he's really the one of the best of them and has all those qualities can we talk about the ending because i always knew it was a possibility since we didn't see these characters obviously in the original trilogy that they might not make it Uh, but i was also like well disney owns this now and they want to sell action figures that's actually that, that's and, actually part of the writing process because they actually wrote two endings. One were the original ending from the movie, and then the one where they all lived because they wouldn't they wasn't sure if Disney would greenlight all of them dying. So there is actually a version where they all lived. Wow. I appreciate them killing them off. I mean, I would have loved to see more adventures with them, obviously, but, but it, it was, was it was meaningful that they yeah. they all got a meaningful yeah. death. A respectful, meaningful, dying for what they believe in death. And it was devastatingly sad. And I still cry every single time that I watch the Battle of Scarif. But they're they're given the opportunity to they've all grown and changed from the beginning of the film and they get to they get to die peacefully with uh, the thought that the, what they did was right. Yeah. And it's I think it's I think it's just beautiful. Uh, I I did not see it coming. Obviously, like opening night, you don't know anything when you walk in. Um, K2 hits the ground and I was like, oh, no, this movie's going to be really sad. And then Cassian falls and then Chirrut dies right like within a minute of each other. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, no one's getting out of here. That's where it hit when when Chirrut died. I was like, oh, this is. Oh no! No one is getting off this planet. Yeah, my my and, moment was was K two. At the moment he went down, I was like, "Oh no! They're all gonna die!" And then it just kept happening, and I just grabbed my friend Paige, and I was like, "Oh no!" Until Baze went, I was certain that Jin and Cassian at least were gonna make Same. it. And then Baze went also, and I was like, "Oh no! That's it!" It's, yeah, I. <laughs> that's the I end. Was. I- I didn't know any spoilers coming into this movie, which I was thankful for because it really hit. So nice. I couldn't. I was like, oh, no, the Death Star. Oh, no, this. And I just wrote, ah, a lot on my on my notes. It was just like <laughs> just screaming like, no. Yeah, that last scene with Jen and Cassian on the beach. Oh, just I mean, I'm already like emotional because of the other deaths. But that right there is just so beautiful. And also you're like, oh, Krennic gets to die by the weapon that he's so proud of. I'm so happy about that. Justice. But then you're like, oh, it hurts so much. Such a deeply satisfying ending. Like, like horrible, tragic, sad, but satisfying. Like, Krennic getting taken out by the Death Star as the first one to go. Because that, I mean, like, it's like Tarkin aimed it at him, right? Like, it hits the top of the tower right where Krennic is. It's delightful and satisfying. And then Jin and Cassian hold hands and they look at each other. He says, your father would be proud of you. They hold each other in maybe what's like their first moment of human contact that either of them have had for who knows how long. I mean, can you imagine anybody hugging Cassian in the last like 20 years? Like yeah, no. that's... They probably got punched in the face. Um, and and Jin too probably hasn't had any punched sort of like too. affection since Saw left. And I read the, the book Rebel Rising that, that takes place in mm-hmm. between. I know what affection she has and has not had, but still, like, it's probably been a a few years. And then they get to hold each other's hand and hug each other and support each other through an honorable death. And it's, uh, it's just, it's remarkable how well done that ending is. I just, and, and that's Galen Erso. It's Galen Erso's, um, daughter being killed by Galen Erso's, um, spaceship. It's, um, 
he's such a such a, a strong pulse through this whole movie. And when Jin gets to stand up and say, I'm Jin Erso, daughter of Galen and Lyra, and you have lost. When she gets to say that to the man that had her mother and her father, like responsible for the deaths of her mother and her father. Um, it's so it's so powerful and so impactful. That's actually why it makes this me movie so has the sad. best ending. That's why it makes me so sad like that Bodhi dies on his own and everybody else dies with people. Yeah. <laughs> I really loved kind of the shout out in season seven of Clone Wars. So- they had Rogue One where Ahsoka is chanting, I'm one with the Force and the Force is oh. with me. They talk about Saul. It was like- I have mixed feelings about that. They're friends of Rogue One. I'm excited about this. She has Rex say it too. My favorite things is how this movie continues to resonate because you actually there's an episode of Rebels called The World Between Worlds, and you actually get to hear Jen ensure it in the World Between Worlds. And then of course it came back to Clonor season seven. And this movie just continues to just resonate throughout the rest of the franchise with every new property, and it just keeps just cementing why it's such an important movie. For so many different reasons, because it just show, continues to show up in animation. I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to continues to just show up in different places, because there is so much beautiful groundwork and in, in, uh, in themes and the plot and the narrative is just so good. And uh, uh. <laughs> um, have you guys ever done the Void? VR experience? No, I haven't had a chance, but oh. I'm dying, dying to Okay, because you get a mission from Cassian. I know. I saw the trailer and I almost burst into tears. I have <laughs> done it twice. Is it amazing? <laughs> it is amazing. And K2SO is there for you. And you really feel like you're one of, like, Cassian's giving you a mission. You're part of the rebellion. You go to Mustafar. Oh, my gosh. And- that's so cool. <laughs> they don't, I don't think it's in California anymore. Uh, yeah, it might so. not be in Downtown it, Disney anymore. It moved on from, uh, there's an Avengers one in Downtown Disney uh, now. Um, so I guess I'm going to have to come to Florida. <laughs> hey, we, I'm an we, hour we can take a Disney. trip back to Florida. Oh, as soon as it opens back up, I'm coming and we should yeah, go. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I actually have a question um, for everybody, but very very specifically Alice, but it, it's kind of to the group. What are your thoughts on the coming Cassie Nandor show, which is going to be a prequel to this movie? I literally could not be more excited. I'm going to do a <laughs> recap show. Rogue Fun, the the podcast is going to also become a weekly like uh, watch party show when as soon as that comes out. I don't know when it's coming, but I'm here and you'll get more more um, Alice talking about Cassian every just all the time. I could not be more excited. It has to be darker than The Mandalorian considering everything Cassian went through. So it's going to be exciting to see that part of Star Wars and that part of the Rebellion. Well, because he was ruthless at first. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm excited just because it takes place during the Rebels timeline. So I'm, I'm questioning how much they're going to integrate Star Wars Rebels into the show because both Ahsoka and Agent Callus are fulcrums with Cassian, but not they're not all together during that timeline. Okay, one last thing, because we already talked about their death. The Dark Vader scene. Oh, that scene that yes. almost didn't oh. make it. Yeah, everyone says it's fan service, and I don't care if it is. It's really Oh, cool. when he As brought fan, out his red lightsaber, I literally was on my couch. I was like, oh, damn. And I was like, oh, why am I not in the theater? Oh, it's there's the a best. really great, great tweet. They're like, you guys realize like he had to turn off his breathing, had to turn off the lights <laughs> to his suit, just so he could be a dramatic mother. That is Anakin Skywalker in a nutshell. It really He's a is. dramatic mother. Yeah. My yes. friend and I actually have a theory that Vader uses his cape as emotion. 
and he uses it to emote because he doesn't have facial expressions. Like, that's a theory of mine and my friends because he's constantly, like, flipping his cape and stuff. He, he has to work with what he's, he's so got, fun. you know? Yeah. He's so cool and so dramatic. And that scene is so beautifully shot yes. and well lit. With just the red lightsaber keeping most of the lighting uh, in that in that hallway. And it's so emotionally charged in the music and everything. Just an absolute incredible, incredible scene. A perfect I addition, to- I think. I was amazed to find out that it was added last minute. Like, it wasn't in the script originally. Really? Well, and I didn't I, know that. And, so it's, that's... It's, and it's one of the best scenes of the entire movie. It really is. And you know what? It adds to, like, what happens right after in A New Hope. Because, like, Leia knows that he knows that she has the plants. And she's just straight up lying to this dude. She's like, I'm on a diplomatic mission. <laughs> Stop judging me, Dad. So Brie has a lot of feelings. I about do. Anakin. I love Mesa Mannequin. Do you do you know my nicknames for him and Vader? Oh, I want to know. So Anakin is Toast Daddy, right? <laughs> and Toast Daddy, and then Toast Daddy gets put into a toaster, and then the toaster sets on fire, and then he becomes Black Metal Daddy. I absolutely love those. <laughs> I have a Star Wars. Can we just daddy. call them that from now on. <laughs> I, I have a Star Wars Daddy list. It's a complete thing. That's amazing. That's incredible. Another reason why I really loved Rogue One, I think it's actually become like one of my favorite, and I've only seen it once. But it really takes like an unlikely crew and showcases them even rebelling against the rebellion, you know, like taking it upon themselves to do what they know is right. And I just thought that was it's relatable in some ways because they're like that whole council scene just makes me mad. That Draven guy, I got really bad vibes from. I don't know if he pops up anywhere else in any of like the animation or if he's going to pop up. You know, in, in Cassian's. Not as far as I know. I think. Oh, maybe in, a, in Cassian's. I think he's in a couple of the comics. I, but I say think very, not knowing for sure. But I believe he's in some of the Marvel comics. I would yeah, he's not him. in Rebels. I would expect him to show up in the Cassian Andor show when that eventually comes out as like head of intelligence. Yeah. Um, the thing that I really um, enjoy about about Draven um, <laughs> is when you when you first meet him, he's like Jin's like foil Jin wants to um to be let go and and draven's like no like is calling is the first one to call her by her name and is being really uh confrontational uh by the time they get to the council scene draven's the only one to say uh, listen a decision needed to be made and i took action he's the only one up to this point who's actually done anything True. for the rebellion um but he's still is like, no, but Jin, no, I don't believe her. I don't like her. So he's not, he doesn't become likable, but he somehow steps into this place where I was able to go like, huh, no one else. Like Radis, the Moncal, he wants to fight. He's like, let's fight. Right. Uh. <laughs> um, but um, but the only person to have actually made a call that resulted in, um, in like action, in fighting, has been Draven. And, um, and the... Yeah, I don't know. He's, I just got his bad and that council scene is he's so he's such a bad dude. He's such a weird, he's such a weird like hard ass. And um, but the council scene is is so frustrating because uh, Jin is she's a she's a rebel. She's trying to rebel, and then she but she didn't want anything to do with the rebellion. And when she, by the time she finally does, it's bureaucracy that gets in the way. Always of, of right. Jin's it's journey. just always that and. 
it's so frustrating to watch as these dudes, like the dude who plays Anderson and Sherlock. I was yes. going to say that too. <laughs> yes. And he's, he's so bad and, and he's so frustrating. And all of them sitting there in their fancy little outfits in there and saying like, oh no, the stakes are too high. You don't know about stakes. Like Cassian's been in this fight since he was six years old. Like nobody knows the stakes more than he does. And he wants to fight. And and it's it's so incredibly frustrating. The council scene is frustrating, and this is the subject of but of the, the May episode so of Rogue Fun, also. So you'll, the reason it's so I'm, important is because if they're not bureaucratic, then they're Saul Guerrero. Yes, that's it. You need both. At the end of the day, you need a bureaucracy to help make decisions. You need a small task force like Jin and and the rest of Rogue One to get the little things done. You need Saw to. In, you know, to inspire people and be like the bottom line. Like, no, we don't do that. If you don't have it all, you don't really have a rebellion. And it, it adds so many facets to yeah, the Yeah, it's almost like unity happened after Jin took action and everyone else kind of followed, you know, is uh, it almost created that well, unity well, they needed without them realizing they needed it. What uh, we find out is that the destruction of the Death Star is like, the first major victory for the rebellion and that and the destruction of Alderaan is really what gets people going. This was the first conflict of the civil war. Like this is the first time they had absolutely open warfare together as a group. Yeah. They had a bunch of like small skirmishes and there was something on Luthal, which I won't spoil, but it shows like it wasn't a perfect system. Yeah. They're the good guys, but the good guys have to do some bad things to win. Well, yeah. It's not all black and white. If, if anybody has like 20 seconds Go on YouTube and just look up Diego Luna, Jabba the Hutt, and he loves Jabba the Hutt. He wants to touch Jabba the Hutt more than anything. He wants to feel his texture. It's hysterical. It's it's so good. (laughs) That's amazing. I don't know if I need you to know that. It's like that. There's a reason why fans are like, please put Jabba in the Cassian show just so Diego Luna can touch Jabba. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now I want that to happen for sure. Okay, so, I mean, I think that's a good note. Brie and I have been compiling, uh, like, a ranking whenever we're finished watching a movie and trying to figure out where it goes in our Star Wars, you know, favorites. And Brie, I'm pretty sure this is at number one right now. For me, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, well, we're doing Rogue this together, One is Brie. one. For me, I don't know. How about you? It's For us, it's okay, number great. one. Okay, great. I was just making sure ours match. But yeah, no, Rogue One, just like, by a landslide. Get out of the way. (laughs) Thank you, Hope. Thank you, Alice, so much for being on this podcast. It was so much fun to have you guys here and discuss this movie. Thank Thank you so much for having us. This was so fun. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. I I could spend like hours talking about it. I am so, so happy and so willing to talk about Rogue One literally any hour of any day. So if you ever have feels, just hit me up, please. (laughs) <laughs> I definitely will because <laughs> I still like have like this tingling in my heart like I'm like darn I'm crying again I'm like every time I watch this movie I feel too many things <laughs> there's so much happening and I, I didn't even get into how much I ship Jen and Cassian and and that like that missing like like could have been romance that uh, I just mm, nope uh, that's, that's a, the that's most a, heartbreaking thing is ooh. like the could have been romance that never actually got started but I think that's what I, makes I, their I sacrifice that, even um, more beautiful Yes. See, I appreciated okay. that because um, I'm I'm on the ace spectrum, 
So I'm always looking for stories of like guys and girls not get hooking up because that is the norm when you have a, a man and a woman. They almost always hook up. So I was like, oh my God, they're actually just friends. Thank <laughs> God. Because you never have stories of. I- a hundred percent understand and do totally appreciate that we got a female character that was not forced into a relationship and yet I pine and yet I pine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, like it was only like a few days. Right. Yeah. But I can see maybe in the future after they got to know each other for a while (laughs) and got over some of their own issues. That's what all my fan fictions are about. (laughs) See, I'm over here waving the sniper pilot fanfics, man, because I will write write Bodhi Cassian fan. I've actually written several Bodhi Cassian fanfics, so I, I will wave my sniper pilot flag proud. Alice, tell us where people can listen to Rogue Fun. Well, you can listen to Rogue Fun wherever podcasts are found. I actually just got Rogue Fun up on Spotify, which was a very exciting milestone. And you can follow it on on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod. That's the best way to get all information. We only uh, release one episode a month. So if you want to know when it's coming, you got to follow the Twitter. And Hope? You can find J-Guys and Jedi, a part of the Two True Freaks Networks. Uh, Just look up Two True Freaks and you'll find us. And I, uh, you can find us at Jedi on Twitter. And I also have a website called geekygirlexperience.com where I write Star Wars reviews and all sorts of fun things. And my brand is animation and queer stuff. So what's up? I'm a queer woman. Um, so if it's animation and gay and that's up your, your alley, I will happily give you an entire piece about queer baiting in Rebels and why Ahsoka Tano is queer coded. Come at me. I'll have oh, you happily so much queer baiting. Bree, can you tell them? Where, all right. Well, you us? can find us at Geeky Girl Gab on all your social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at GeekyGirlGab.com. Come find us. We'll talk to you. <laughs> yeah. That's it for today. Stay geeky.